From Brennan to the Boca Chill, from Lamy to La Push, and from the lordly Sawduck to lovely Duckabush. From Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillacine, the climate is so friendly, it's a land that's evergreen. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Evergreen State podcast. I'm your host, John C., and thank you for joining me today for episode 75, Ritzville. Named after Philip Ritz, Ritzville can trace its town roots back to 1881 when a station stop was founded by the Northern Pacific Railroad there. It was probably considered to be far too dry by the numerous indigenous tribes that camped and wintered around the creek valleys that laced what would become Adams County. White settlers prior to 1881 were few and far between, but early accounts seem to state with surprising confidence that right after the U.S. Civil War ended, when George Lucas, not the Star Wars curator, arrived and raised cattle along the nearby Cow Creek. Another pioneer moved to the general area in 1872, J.F. Koss Jr., who later recollected that when he arrived, Lucas was the sole resident in all of present-day Adams County. Another pioneer arrived to the area shortly after Koss Jr., this time a wheat farmer by the name of William Lambie. He settled about 12 miles southeast of the present-day site of Ritzville. Lucas and some other nomadic cattlemen in the area did not take too kindly to this wheat farmer encroaching on their cattle's grazing land. They even went so far as to, according to one account from the Adams County News, dress up as so-called savage natives in an attempt to scare away William Lambie. How disgusting. This area had never seen a hostile action by any surrounding indigenous tribe, so what a slap in the face this was to them. The scare tactic failed, however, when later in the 1870s, wheat farmers began to arrive in force and pushed out for the most part the cattlemen. A group from Canton, South Dakota began clearing farms within two miles of Ritzville around this time. The area was very attractive to dryland wheat farmers, made even more so by the continued rumored arrival of rails, making it that much easier to get their product to waiting markets. Enter Philip Ritz, who I mentioned at the top of the podcast. He arrived to the area that now bears his name at about 1878. The Northern Pacific at this time had reached the channeled scablands and prairies of Adams County. They contracted with Ritz to grade a 10-mile section of railbed near his homestead. When the rails finally arrived in 1881, it is unclear as to who named the station in honor of Ritz. Maybe he did it himself, or a railroad official was impressed with the job that he did, and so decided to name this new station in his area after Ritz. The first resident of the Ritzville area proper was actually one of the Canton, South Dakota immigrants, William McKay. He went on to build an eight-room house, then rented out rooms to railroad laborers. What a smart idea, and he probably made a pretty penny for his efforts, too. To further his entrepreneurial ambitions, he built the third building in the soon-to-be town, this time a small building that he used for a general store. This time again with an eye towards serving the influx of railroad workers in the nearby area. Growth came rather slowly to early Ritzville, with the spring of 1882 greeting only about 50 spread-out inhabitants. According to a 1904 history of the region, everyone drew water from the same fountain, the railroad tank. Residents had been unable to find any groundwater in their several attempts to dig wells. Within a relatively short period of time, the McKay House began to serve as an informal community gathering spot acting as a hotel, restaurant, and dance hall. 
The railroad soon began attracting more people to the area, with Ritzville seeing its first Christian sermon delivered by Dr. G.H. Atkinson, a pastor and missionary who gave his speech on the 2nd of April, 1882. This was held at McKay's house and attracted a whopping 23 people. Later that day, Dr. Atkinson organized the first congressional church with six founding members, two of whom were Mr. and Mrs. McKay. According to VolgaGermans.org, the first Volga Germans came to Adams County from Nebraska in 1883 when a group of 17 families under the leadership of Johann Friedrich Rosanoff. By the mid-1890s, continuing immigration led to the Volga Germans being the largest ethnic group in the Ritzville area. Volga Germans are ethnic Germans who settled and historically lived along the Volga River in the region of southeastern European Russia around Saratov and to the south. Recruited as immigrants to Russia in the 18th century, they were allowed to maintain their German culture, language, traditions, and churches, Lutheran, Reformed, Catholics, Moravians, and Mennonites. Mainly in part due to taxation and young men being conscripted into the Russian army, along with the forced cultural integration, many Volga Germans emigrated to the United States with a significant amount settling in and around the Ritzville area, mainly at the western and northwestern edges of town. Here, they were able to retain their rich culture and way of life, as well as to pursue a means to a living that was similar to that of their homeland. As well as experiencing the influx of the immigrants in 1883, a group of area residents also filed a petition for their own county. They argued fervently that the county seat in Colfax was just too damn far away. Even today, if you wanted to drive from Ritzville to Colfax, you'll end up driving close to 70 miles, which would take about an hour and a half on a good day. Now just imagine trying to do that back in the 1880s. It was probably a two-day affair. They wanted their proposed county to be carved from the northwest corner of Whitman County. The measure was passed with barely any opposition. Adams County's Articles of Incorporation were approved by Washington Territorial Governor William A. Newell on the 28th of November, 1883. Ritzville was named the Adams County seat with the first county minutes recorded about three weeks later. This honor of being the county seat came mainly due in part to it being the only semblance of a town in the county at the time. Adams County spans 1,925 square miles in the semi-arid shrubstep region of southeastern Washington. It's surrounded by neighboring Grant, Lincoln, Whitman, and Franklin counties. To put its size into a little perspective, Adams County is almost 300 square miles larger than Rhode Island, the smallest state in the Union. Upon its incorporation, Adams County had a population of only about 150 people. At first, the county rented out a single room of a building in Ritzville for its use, but only ended up staying there for about a year. The first structure to be used as a county building was an old wooden home purchased from Nelson H. Green in 1885 for $500. It was located on the corner of present-day Washington Street and Broadway Avenue in Ritzville. This home proved to be wholly inadequate for the county almost from the get-go. Geez, who would have guessed that purchasing a small old house wouldn't work out well for the county? Anyways, to make matters worse, judicial functions weren't even held in the county at this point, with Spokane and Whitman County lending a helping hand. By 1892, however, the county built a new courthouse in Ritzville, which would be further expanded in 1905. The original cost to construct this courthouse was $1,945, with the expansions in 1905 bringing in a $12,000 price tag. 
This would all be replaced by a third and final courthouse, which was constructed beginning in 1940 and would be completed the following year, coming in at $120,000. Ritzville held a vote on the question of going dry in 1886, and the citizens voted 31-24 to 24 against Prohibition. The population of Ritzville at this time was about 150. There was a small schoolhouse that employed two teachers and some five dozen pupils. There were a handful of stores, a few hotels, a butcher's shop, and a harness maker. On the far edge of town was a lumber yard. 1887 saw the Ritzville residents begin to chafe under the town name as apparently Philip Ritz was not very well regarded by some of his peers in the community that bore his name. Could you imagine how awkward that must have been for Ritz when he went into town? We hate you so much we want to change the name of the town. However, supporters of this name change could not settle on an alternative, and the debate fizzled out about as quickly as it began. This proved to not be the only debate sparked in the small town of Ritzville in the late 1880s. Too many people had been drawing water from the northern Pacific tanks in town, with the company putting an outright ban on the practice, pissing off many of the townsfolk as they went. In dire need of a water source, someone struck a well a mile from town. This time, the debate centered around relocating the town to be closer to its newfound water source and was sparking all kinds of interest across the small town. City leaders decided to give everyone free land if they agreed to move, only if it was, of course, equal in value to the land that they would be leaving behind. Almost everyone jumped at this opportunity, and could you honestly blame them, save the two-story hotel owner who flat-out refused to relocate his building, which stalled and ultimately killed the relocation attempt. This planned move was made rather unnecessary when a well was struck right there in town. If you've been listening to the show for a while, and caught the special episode starting with 50, or if you've been around for a while and remember my first, and not very best, episode, then you will know that in the late 1880s, devastating fires were common all over the Evergreen State. Ritzville proved to be no exception to this in 1888. Many shops, including the hotel and post office, were totally destroyed. The residents of Ritzville quickly rebuilt, though, this time mostly in fireproof brick. Noticing a trend here after these early fires in these young towns? Several other smaller fires would follow over the next near decade and a half and spurred the city to finally buck up and curate its volunteer fire department in 1901. Despite the destructive 1888 fire, Ritzville incorporated under Washington territorial laws, but was forced to reincorporate after Washington became the 42nd state on the 11th of November, 1889. Four other states joined the Union at the time, marking this the first addition to the United States in 13 years. The other states that were admitted at the same time as Washington were Montana, South Dakota, and its northern counterpart, North Dakota. Residents voted 30-7 to 7 in favor of incorporation on the 12th of July, 1890. R.J. Neargaard would be elected mayor. Following the incorporation, Ritzville built a new schoolhouse to accommodate the growing number of students that were being crammed into its previous makeshift schoolhouse. Despite the panic of 1893, Ritzville finally put its water supply question to bed. It installed a $20,000 waterworks supplied by a handful of wells. According to contemporary sources, it was thought to have provided an inexhaustible source of the most pure water to be found anywhere in the Evergreen State. Reality caught up with the statement, and several more wells had to be dug over the years as the old municipal wells began to dry up. The aforementioned Panic of 1893 sent many in the town to wonder if Ritzville would survive into the 20th century. 
Wheat prices were at an all-time low, and the city government's finances were in a dire spot. It began to take on serious amounts of debt. The bad times weren't meant to last, though, and by 1898, the Lincoln County Times reported that Ritzville was experiencing a downright old-timey boom. Ritzville went from only 150 residents in 1890 to 761 according to the 1900 census. That's quite a population change if you ask me, especially so given the shaky economic situation the country was dealing with for most of the last decade of the 19th century. 1902 saw Ritzville claiming the title of the largest shipper of wheat in the world, though whether or not that was actually the case cannot really be determined. That year, though, the town did ship over 2 million bushels of wheat through its northern Pacific line. Wheat was king in Adams County, and still is to this day. Since Ritzville was considered by most to be the shipping hub of the region, it makes sense that it soon became the cultural center as well. In 1907, with much press and fanfare, Washington State Governor Albert Meade gave a speech at the dedication ceremony of a Carnegie library in town, which still stands to this day and in fact still serves its original purpose, nowadays as the Ritzville Public Library. The dedication ceremony was followed by the cornerstone laying by the Grand Lodge of the Masons. This took place well after Carnegie pledged $10,500 towards the construction of one if the town could secure a piece of land to build it on. An interesting thing to note about this library is that at the time that it was opened, Ritzville was the smallest town to receive funding for such a library. Anyways, that old-time boom that Ritzville saw at the turn of the century continued into the start of the second decade of the 20th, with its population more than doubling to 1,859 residents in the 1910 census. By the 1920 census, though, the boom was clearly over, with a total population gain over the 1910 census being only 41 total people. Much of the American West was suffering from a prolonged drought, and Ritzville was no exception to this. The Ritzville flouring mills saw much-needed equipment upgrading, and the town had a thriving entertainment sector boosted by the Ritz Theater. Despite this, the 1930 census saw a drop in population for the first time since the area was included in the census, with a little over 100 residents leaving the drought-stricken town. The 1935 Spokesman Review reported positively of Ritzville, stating, The depression in agriculture has hit Ritzville as it hit other towns similarly situated, but Ritzville is weathering the gale and is ready to move forward with better conditions. Despite the depressed agricultural market, the flour mill in town was still producing upwards of 500 barrels of flour a day. To further demonstrate the county's greater stability in the Great Depression than in the Panic of 1893, a modern courthouse was built in Ritzville during the time without putting the county into any debt, which is quite astounding, even for modern times. The quick rise of car culture that was gripping the country at the time proved to be another huge benefit to the small town of Ritzville. If you've ever driven Interstate 90 from Ellensburg to Spokane or vice versa, you're probably very acquainted with Ritzville. For drivers making the same journey in, say, the 1930s, the feeling was no different. During those days, instead of it being an interstate highway, it was instead commonly referred to as the Sunset Highway, or simply Highway 10. Even today, the stretch of highway around Ritzville is pretty barren and lacking in most basic amenities until you get to town. Ritzville offered a pleasant location to stop for fuel or to sleep for the night before traveling on, or maybe if you just had to stop and use the bathroom, it's a good place for it because there's not a lot of other places around. 
Though Ritzville itself saw little to no population boost from the construction of the Grand Coulee Dam, it did see a financial boost due to the fact that other parts of Adams County would benefit and thus send product through Ritzville and beyond. Censuses are a great way to see how a given town was doing, and the 1941 showed yet another decrease, this time by a few dozen over the 1930 numbers. Towards the 1950s, Ritzville's original industry, cattle ranching, began to make a comeback in the area. Due to the increased level of irrigation that the Columbia Basin Irrigation Project brought, these ranchers were now able to adequately water their alfalfa and hay pastures, making the whole enterprise way more affordable and therefore way more lucrative for future investors. Wheat farming continued to dominate in the region, however, but the raising of cattle was becoming ever more popular. The 1950 census finally saw Ritzville crest 2,000 residents, with 2,145 people being recorded. At about the same time, Odessa, located to the northwest of Ritzville, with its lushly irrigated fields surrounding the town, surpassed Ritzville as the most populous town in Adams County, a title it has never relinquished. Ritzville was not deterred by this at all. In fact, its residents had plenty to cheer for. They boasted one of the largest public swimming pools in the Evergreen State in the mid-century, and it had a city golf course frequented by people from all over the area, from Davenport to Sprague. The 1960 census saw the Ritzville population hit its peak with 2,173 residents. By the 1980 census, the population had fallen to around 1,800, a loss of over 300 residents. Then, Mount St. Helens had to go and blow her top and sent up to six inches of ash, which inevitably snarled traffic and caused 2,500 motorists to be temporarily stuck in Ritzville. For a few days, Ritzville's population more than doubled. The town was buried deeper than almost any other place in eastern Washington, most of which only saw about an inch or less of ash. Frightened travelers were packed wall-to-wall in Ritzville's small hospital, in the school gymnasium, and in every restaurant, church, and hotel that could be found. To make matters even worse, 8 out of 10 sheriff patrol cars were also out of commission. Ritzville would be isolated for five agonizing days. Even stepping outside posed a significant danger to one's health. Three months later, residents of Ritzville were still cleaning up the mess that the wrath of Mount St. Helens left behind. This all proved to have worked out in Ritzville's favor in the end, however, and the area reported bumper crops due to the improved quality of the soil due to the ash. Ritzville's population today is not much different than that of the 1980 census. The town of a little under 1,800 people continues to be an important waypoint for highway travelers with the only amenities available for an hour in both directions. The pool that once boasted being one of the largest in the Evergreen State is now a water park with two separate pools. Ritzville's rich history can further be explored on a visit, where you will find two excellent museums. First, the Railroad Depot History Museum of Ritzville. This absolutely gorgeous brick structure was built by the Northern Pacific in 1910, and at one time it received up to 10 passenger trains a day. The depot was deeded to the city in 1988 after passenger service ceased and was put on the National Register of Historic Places the following year. It opened as a museum in 1990. Inside, highlights include the building's original interior and fixtures, a working Western Union telegraph, a telephone switchboard, an 1893 horse-drawn hearse, which in itself is worth a stop in to see, a restored Northern Pacific caboose, and various pieces of farm equipment that were used in the area over the years. 
Ritzville's second museum is the Burroughs Home, which was home to the Dr. Frank Burroughs, who settled in Ritzville after stopping for a medical emergency and took a liking to what he saw there. For nearly four decades, he helped birth generations of Ritzville and area babies. He also served at one point as the mayor of Ritzville, as well as being its postmaster for a spell. Inside Mr. Burroughs' home, you'll find it filled with the good doctor's medical instruments and beautiful period furniture. The home was gifted to the city of Ritzville in 1962. It would be added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1975. Volunteers lovingly restored the home in the late 1980s. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a 5-star review and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Doing so really helps the show to grow and to expand to a new audience, so any help that you can give in that regard will be greatly appreciated. Sources for this episode include An Illustrated History of the Big Bend Country Embracing Lincoln, Douglas, Adams, and Franklin Counties by Richard F. Steele and assisted by Arthur P. Rose, The Spokesman Review, The Advisory Council on Historic Preservation, The Adams County Webpage, Washington Rural Heritage, HistoryLink.org, The Adams County Historical Society, RevisitWa.org, and the Volga German Institute. Thank you for listening to Episode 75, Ritzville. Episode 76 will be released next week and will start 2023 for the show. A special thanks goes out to Al Hirsch for providing the music for the podcast. If you have any questions about the show, please contact History of the Evergreen State Pod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the History of the Evergreen State Podcast. And until next time, I'm your host, John C. There's peace on the Skokomish, on the Queets and on the Hull. There's calm on the Nisqually, born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Chimicum and Stillicum, where spouts the gooey duck. The singing still Guamish and the swirling skookum chuck and moclips and copalis where the razor clams abound a little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound a little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound <laughs>